Good morning, Christ community. Uh, my name is Joshua Sarita. I serve uh, here as a deacon within our Crossfire Parent Youth Ministry, and just we want to continue to welcome those who are joining us from uh, the local congregation of Christ Community, but also abroad in different locations. We're so grateful that you've taken time for your Sunday to join us uh, this morning. And I just have a few announcements uh, that we're going to go through, and especially for those who are newer, we just take time to uh, have fellowship even in the midst of what's going on uh, through the means of technology that God has provided. So uh, first and foremost is tithes and offerings. And today is actually Building Fund Sunday. And so, uh, again, if you are unfamiliar on ways that you can give, uh, there are multiple ways that you can give. Uh, the first is through our website. And if you go to our website at cccburks.org uh, and hit the tab for online giving, you can see that there's a way for you to enter your information there, um, as well as see our address, uh, which is 566 Moans Hill Road, Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, 19608. You're more than welcome to also send a check that way. Um, please make sure, though, um, wherever you are sending or whatever you uh, decide to send, that you would do so um, with um, uh, putting in the, the memo line if you're giving for the building fund. So if it is a check or it is a, a specific designation, make sure that it is designated appropriately so that we can make sure those funds go to the, the appropriate place. Um, so I'm going to pray for our tithes and offering, and then we're going to get into the remainder of announcements. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for um, the generosity that you've given us um, over the course of time, God. And I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts to be continually generous over the course of time, knowing that you've given us all things, God. These, the, all these things that you've given us are yours. We are merely stewards uh, of what you put in our possession, um, that we might glorify you through it, God. So I pray that uh, our hearts would be uh, given much joy in this act of worship, um, to, to give unto you what is rightfully yours and uh, that you would use it to advance your kingdom here on this earth, God, uh, in the hearts of people, that you would get much glory through your gospel being, being proclaimed uh, through Christ's community and other gospel-preaching churches in Berks County and Pennsylvania and the nation and the world, God. And uh, I pray that as we also look to continue to contribute to the building fund, you would use that as a means of uh, just faith to see what you will do in the future of our church, um, knowing that even at this time, we don't own kind of a, an official building of gathering for our Sunday services. And God, but we know that you will provide. Um, we have faith in you that you will give us what we need when we need it. Um, in your timing, God, I pray that we would rest in your timing and not become anxious for anything, but in all things, um, just with prayer and supplication and make our requests known to you, God, and that we will receive your peace to guard our hearts. Um, thank you so much for this Sunday and uh, for what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, just a few more announcements uh, for you today. Uh, this is really an exciting one. Uh, we are going to today be having a time for communion via Zoom. And this is going to be taking place tonight at 7.30 p.m., not tonight, not tonight. It's going to be happening the last Sunday of this month. And uh, that's why we have these audibles. We have them ready to go at a moment. So the drop of a hat. It's, we're really trained for this. Um, we're going to be having Zoom uh, communion, which is going to be happening the last Sunday. You are going to be receiving an email leading up to that time. And again, this is just a way for us to get together, even though it's through the means of Zoom, uh, for kind of a corporate, by in the spirit, if you will, way of, of, of remembering 
our Savior who gave himself for us by the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body on behalf of those who would believe. And so, God, I, I, I just pray that you would, um, um, that you would join us, God, uh, that you would be a part of this opportunity to be here and, um, and to uh, engage in communion over, over Zoom. So um, uh, please look forward to the announcement. Again, it'll be coming via email uh, as, as the week approaches. Um, tomorrow, we are going to be having an opportunity for men to pray a part of Christ's community. Now, uh, again, for those who aren't familiar, we would have a regular um, uh, time for prayer for our men here at the church house because of, again, our circumstances. We are just asking for the men of Christ community to set aside an hour of prayer whenever it might be through your Monday. Uh, And that could be on a commute. It could be maybe broken up into segments. Maybe you have a half-hour drive one way and a half-hour drive the next. Um, So take time, about one hour, to to lift up the needs, not only of your family, but of the the needs within Christ community and of the world uh, before our God who uh, inclines his ear to listen to us and to those uh, prayers of his children and uh, do so in faith, knowing that he will provide according to his will. So men of Christ community, thank you so much for those who have been praying and uh, continue to pray throughout this time. Last two announcements uh, relate to Catapult. Today is Catapult Sunday, which will be happening 3 o'clock via Zoom. So again, Catapult Kids, which are 10 to 12-year-olds, we're going to be uh, having another lesson for you. Um, We look forward to that opportunity to continue to instruct you. And parents, thank you so much for your support, for setting up the technology, for we know without you this wouldn't really be possible. So thank you so much in advance. And then finally is going to be a Crossfire Social, which is actually going to be kind of a mix of a hybrid um, it's going to be happening in the next two weeks, May 28th, 7 o'clock via Zoom. Um, uh, Mr. Ed and I are going to be kind of tag teaming this opportunity. Um, we thought it might be appropriate based upon our previous big meeting to kind of discuss some of the things that we didn't hit on the last passage within First Peter. So we're probably going to take some time a little bit at the beginning to do that. It might be a little bit of a longer Zoom call, so just prepare for that. I'm sure you guys won't mind. Most of you guys are, are really enjoying uh, the time that we spend um, and then the remainder of the time will be an opportunity for it to be a social time, you know, a game or, or whatnot. So we'll give you some more details as the date approaches, but look forward to being there on the 28th, which is going to be a Thursday at 7 p.m. So if you have any further questions, feel free to contact any one of our pastors, uh, John Reyes or C.B. Etter or myself. You can look on our website for our contact information or see our Facebook page. With that being said, I'm going to invite our, our senior pastor, C.B. Etter, to come and preach God's word and the gospel. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everybody. If you could open up your Bibles or your phones to 1 Kings chapter 3. And um, as you're opening up your Bibles, I just wanted to highlight this morning. It was so beautiful. There were a number of doves that were outside an open window of my house singing beautifully this morning. And the sound of them cooing is always very beautiful to me. The birds were chirping in the background. And I, I was just sensing from the Lord, he's just reminding, he was reminding me, I'm feeding them all. And uh, God created a world loaded with beautiful singing, singing birds, singing praise to him outside. And that, that's just awesome of God. And I just wanted to highlight that thought. Um, and also note this, God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Never forget that. 
Um, now, I was thinking of entitling the message, We Got This, uh, today, which if you read my wife Shannon's uh, post from Friday, um, I said, We Got This, when it came to me and my son Blair doing the Friday video devotional for the church Bible reading plan. Normally, my wife and daughters are there to help get it done without incident. But on Friday, my daughters were out getting Chick-fil-A milkshakes. You got to love those. And also running errands. And Shannon was painting the hallway. And me and Blair headed confidently toward the fish tank in the back room to take care of devotional business. We bought this mini microphone uh, stand, which holds your phone steady and upright as you do a recording. And all I needed to do was put the phone into the stand and sit down and hit record. But that happened to be too much for me. As I was seeking to jam the phone into the phone stand grip, I found myself pushing the buttons on the side of the phone by accident. Now, the only thing I know those buttons for on the side of the phone is that you can shut your phone off with them. Or you can also take a screenshot with them. I haven't been very successful with doing either of those things with those buttons. I have struggled to turn my phone off because I don't know the right combination of buttons. I've tried to take screenshots at times and sit dumbfounded, trying every combination of buttons I can try to get it done and yet falling short. Those side buttons and working them rightly, to most people, uh, Those are simply handled. And to me, it's like playing Simon the memory game from when I was younger. Do you remember that? Simon would start to move real fast, showing you the colors of the buttons that you needed to hit. But if you were successful, it got going faster and faster. And the stress level of trying to remember the combination of buttons was very anxiety-producing. Every time I went to take a screenshot, every time I want to take a screenshot with my phone, that's what it feels like to me. If I want to turn off my phone, it feels like launching the space shuttle. And I never do it because if I manage to shut the phone down, I may never be able to start it back up. And that can't be. And so my phone right now is dying of exhaustion. Sorry, phone. So somehow my fingers in chaotic movement were forcing the phone into the stand hit the 911 panic somehow and this loud siren started going off on the phone just for me trying to hook it up to the stand now how is it possible to do stuff like this i i can't take a screenshot with my phone but i can manage to somehow call 911 i looked at the phone with the siren going off and i hit the first button i saw to make it stop make it stop And the next thing I see is calling 911 on the phone. And I was like, what? I didn't, it didn't seem real. It was dialing and I didn't want to just hang up because I imagined a group of Marines would come bursting through the French doors, taking me out in order to subdue me and protect Shannon and the kids. So I lifted it to my ear and I hear 911, what is your emergency? And the truth was that the emergency is that there's an idiot living at 5 Dallas Lane, sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, named C.B. Etter. But thank God I lifted the phone into the direction of my face because at least I was able to explain myself. 
And the questions the call center asked me, they, they were basic at first, but they became more and more intense. They wanted to make sure that when I said that I accidentally called them, that it really was just an accident. So they started asking me harder and harder questions. And I, I felt like I was on final jeopardy with each successive question that one wrong answer was going to land me in jail for life. But when she assured me that all was well and that she would take care of everything, I thought that was the end of the matter and to go on with the recording. But I had Shannon put the phone into the stand instead of me this time, which showed Solomon-like wisdom, I think. Shannon set it up, she hit record, and then she went back to her painting. Now, somehow in the interval, the cops came Shannon covered in paint, and thank God it was white paint and not red paint. She handled the cop, painted the wall, hit record, and then got back to the phone in time to hit stop record by the end of the devotional, all without incident. I managed to cause panic, call 911, and bring the cops to our house. And so I should have ended Friday's devotional with, have a great day, church. My wife isn't. But I am, and do not fear, we got this. (laughs) And so the message, I'm not going to entitle it, we got this. It's more like God's got this instead. Um, So the title is King Solomon Established This Morning. And I want us to read 1 Kings chapter 3 together. So read God's word together with me. And uh, let's ask for God's help as we do. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you. 
all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the offering and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine. The dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. And then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and no, by no means put him to death. But the other said, other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in all the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Again, the title of the message is King Solomon Established. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the establishment of the kingdom of Israel and the establishment of King David's reign and King Solomon's reign. We know and we remember that this leads up to the reign of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, give us insight into Jesus this morning as we look at your word from 1 Kings chapter 3 through 6. And bless us as we look at your word. Anoint your word with the power of the Holy Spirit and touch and transform our hearts. Bring faith to life in the life of your people and cause faith to be birthed in the hearts of those who aren't believers yet and who hear this message. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at three points. Number one, the king's character. Number two, the king's dominion. And number three, the king's work. At first, we're going to look at the king's character. Well, just, just so you know, this time period here is after David, uh, the king, had died. This is around 970 B.C. down to the time period of around 959 B.C., where the temple was completed and the building of the temple was completed by Solomon and the people of Israel. The dominion of the kingdom of God through Solomon was massive, which points to the ultimate rule of the entire earth by King Jesus when he returns. We're going to enjoy this kingdom, church, and we will see Jesus rule. And scripture actually says we will reign with him. It's amazing that 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, we'll be subjects of that kingdom, but we'll also be serving sort of as co-regents. If you remember the parable of the talents where the faithful servants will be put in charge of cities. We're going to 
uh, we're not going to be the king of kings. Only he, Jesus Christ, will be the king of kings. But we will help to be administrating that rule all over the new heavens and new earth. And it's going to be awesome to experience that together with you, all of you who believe. Now, during this time in this fallen world, we experience in this fallen world being under unjust rulers and government that does not always govern in a manner pleasing to God. As we experience this here, we are to remember, brothers and sisters, that this won't last forever. What will last forever will be the government being on the shoulders of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, just rule, perfect government, a future with no suffering. That is the eternal future of the children of God who by grace have repented of their sins and have trusted in Jesus Christ. We are to take comfort in that. I was even thinking about how every tribe and tongue, every nation, every beautiful color that God has created man in the image of him, he has chosen to create man with all different shades of beautiful color. And in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no racism. There will be no injustice because of racism anymore. I was just thinking of that detail because the sin of racism has just been on my mind. And I was just thinking of just the kingdom of God and what it's going to be like when we're in the new heavens and new earth under King Jesus' reign. We're going to see him face to face, but we're going to enjoy the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And it's going to just be awesome. So let's look at point one, the king's character. This is seen in 1 Kings 3, 1 through 15. And what a great description of Solomon is seen in this passage. We learn Firstly, that Solomon loves the Lord. Look at verse 3 of 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, it, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So Solomon offered up many sacrifices to the Lord, though at the high places, and in his sleep, the Lord came to him and told him that he could ask him for what he wished. This is amazing. And Solomon asked for understanding and wisdom so that he could rule the people of Israel well and justly. He also acknowledged his youth, his inexperience, and he was a mere child to, to do this. And Matthew Henry, writing of this request from Solomon uh, for, for wisdom, says, those are accepted of God who prefer spiritual blessings to earthly good. Those are accepted of God, he says, who prefer spiritual blessings to earthly good. And it's amazing here that Solomon in this, in this scripture, when he's asked of the Lord for whatever he wants, Solomon in this moment, he asks for the right thing. The Lord was pleased by what he asked for. Solomon preferred in this moment spiritual blessings to earthly good. And just by way of application to our own hearts, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you prefer spiritual blessings to earthly good? Do I? Let us always ask for the Lord to Lord, prosper me in my passion for you, in my faith in you, in my trust in you, in my godliness of life. 
in thought, word, and deed. Let us ask for these things, that we would grow in the fruits of the Spirit for the glory of God, rather than, Lord, prosper me with the things of this world. I was uh, meditating as we were looking in the scriptures just this past week in our church Bible reading plan in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. The word says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, speaking of the Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money, pleasure, power, and fame we're all listed here by the Lord as things Solomon could have asked for. And yet Solomon didn't ask for these things. And the Lord was pleased with Solomon for asking for wisdom from above to govern and rule over the people of God well. He asked for a gift from God that would be a blessing to others and not just himself. There was an unselfishness to the king's request. There was a wisdom and a goodness in this request of Solomon. There was also a humility in Solomon that recognized how young and inexperienced he was and how he needed God's help. So Solomon recognized he needed the Lord's help. And he looks great as king in this passage. Both his love for the Lord, his desire for God to give him understanding and discerning judgment. And as king, he displays here qualities that Please the Lord. Now, there's only one king, however, who perfectly loved the Lord and who perfectly walked in obedience and walked in wisdom and discernment and understanding, and that is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. His sacrifice of himself on the cross satisfied God more than all of Solomon's animal sacrifices offered up. As Tom uh, reminded us of, it's, it's the blood of Jesus which atones for our sins because it was spotless, perfectly obedient blood of a pure spotless land that has redeemed us and has saved us. Indeed, all of the animal sacrifices that Solomon offered up, they only pointed to the once for all sacrifice that was to come through Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who laid down his life for us. The only hope that any of us have is by trusting in the sacrifice of King Jesus on our behalf. And remember this, the glory of Solomon's reign is great. But never forget what Jesus said. One greater than Solomon is here when he arrived. Now, this passage where he asks for wisdom and then 1 Kings 3 is great and it gives an insight here into the wisdom of Solomon. Even the Chronicles doesn't give with this story, this amazing story in scripture that was impressed upon my mind from even when the time I was a boy the gravity of the situation of the story of the two prostitutes and the one prostitute losing her child and the, the difficulty of the case, the, the emotion of the mother whose love for her son is so touching, the coldness of the other woman who was willing to see the child cut in two and Solomon's penetrating insight given to him by God. All of these things are so striking about this passage of Scripture. This story displays the insight and discernment and the understanding that God gave to Solomon in answer to his request during the dream. The insight from King Solomon as judge and the justice he rendered in this case also should remind us of the day when we will stand before the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, 
and be judged. The last verse in 1 Kings chapter 3 says, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in all of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This was a just ruler. And his rule ultimately points to the rule of the king of kings, Jesus Christ, who will also render just judgment, but he will render it perfectly with no flaws or errors. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we do not need to fear the day of judgment because the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us by grace through faith. But for those who will not repent of their sin, they have every reason to fear standing before the holy judgment and justice of King Jesus because that day will be a day of wrath for them. So unbeliever, please trust in Jesus while there's still time. He will forgive you if you repent and trust in him. But Jesus will judge the earth in justice. And when we stand before him, we will stand before an infinitely wise judge whose eyes in the book of Revelation are described as flames of fire. He will see down into the thoughts and inclination of our hearts. And we will give an account, even down to very every idle word, Scripture says. How amazing it is to think about the holiness of Jesus Christ, how awesome he is, and how awesome his rule and his reign is. So Solomon ruled justly. He governed wisely. He asked for the right thing. He obeyed God. He offered sacrifice before God, and he loved God. What a great description of the character of the king. So we looked at the king's character. Secondly, let's look at the king's dominion. This is seen in chapter 4, verses 1 through 19, where if you look at it, it's just really, it's a long list of names of rulers who, who helped to rule Israel under Judah and Israel during this time. And I, I want to just briefly just touch on First Kings, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and the many lists of names and genealogies. A lot of times we can be tempted to think like, what value does this really have for my life here in 2020? Well, brothers and sisters, what we see here is that God's personal. And he knows his people by name. Their names are recorded in scripture, just as our names are recorded in the book of life. So I, I never rush past the genealogies or the lists of names of the servants of the Lord because the acts of service of the people of God are recorded for us in scripture. It shows that God cares about the details of those who have served for the glory of his name. And underneath of the king's dominion, we see that all the servants of the Lord under King Solomon were united in their service under one king. And that points, verses 1 through 19 does, to the unity of God's church. And even though we don't experience in this fallen world the perfect unity that we would love to see, all the nations on the final day will be as one. And that's what this text is pointing to. The fulfillment of this section of scripture ultimately is when all the nations will be as one and will sing praise to Jesus as one. What a glorious day it's going to be. These days here are filled with tension and angst, a clashing of different allegiances and worldviews. 
sometimes not just unbelievers and believers, but even believers biting and devouring one another. Oh, how sad. Wars and rumors of wars. But there's going to be perfect unity and harmony under the rule of the one king, Jesus Christ. There won't be any different parties. It will be one party, the party of Jesus Christ. One king, one people, one song. That's going to be awesome. And that's verses 1 through 19. Now 20 to the end, it speaks about the peace, the safety, the power, and the prosperity of Israel and Judah underneath of the rule of King Solomon. It's a picture, verse chapter 4, verses 20 through the end, is a picture of abundance. And underneath of the, the king's dominion, it's important to note that there is unity, but there's also abundance under the reign of King Solomon. It's really a high watermark for the nation of Israel in terms of their expansion, north and south, east and west. The, the nation of Israel was never again during the time of the kings to achieve such a long and, and such a prosperous span. And geographically, to take up so much territory where all the nations around were actually rendering tribute because of the power. And ultimately, this points to the power of King Jesus and his dominion and reign, which will never come to an end. All of Israel was together. There was peace on all sides from enemies. And Judah and Israel dwelt in safety. Actually, the description in chapter 4 that and actually moving into chapter five, it talks about as Solomon's actually talking to King Hiram, the Sidonian king who was the king of Tyre, which was a city off the coast in the Mediterranean. Solomon and the description in the scriptures is that there was peace on all sides, and every man was under his vine and fig tree. What this points to is this is this goes all the way back to the, the covenant promises that God made to his people when he delivered them into the promised land. There is a fulfillment of God's promise of when his people were delivered out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land that everyone would be under his own vine and fig tree. It happened here. God fulfilled his promise. And just as God fulfilled his promise to his people Israel under the old covenant, he will also fulfill his promise to his people, the church in the new covenant as well. We will enjoy heaven together with the Lord Jesus forever. And the prosperity of every man and woman who is a believer in Christ being underneath of their own vine and fig tree, that that will be as nothing compared to what we together collectively, all the people of God who have trusted in Christ, old covenant and new, will enjoy in the new Jerusalem, the new Israel, the new heavens, the new earth after Christ returns and brings the abundance and the fullness of the kingdom of God into its final and ultimate fulfillment. And Christ's dominion will be over all. We see it in Solomon with his, his power. There were 40,000 stalls for horses. Shows the power of the kingdom under Solomon's time. 
Solomon had understanding in the botany and the zoology, he had scientific understanding over living things great and small, the scripture said, and he also had practical wisdom for life in his 3,000 Proverbs, which I can't wait to go through the book of Proverbs together with us, church. It's going to be awesome. God surely blessed Israel in this time, and when you see the peace and safety and prosperity of this time in Israel's history, we can only long for it once again and think, oh, I would so love to be living in Israel during this time of prosperity. Brothers and sisters, you will. You will. And the glory and the joy and the abundance of the new heavens and new earth will make the joy and abundance here seem like nothing in comparison. That's your future. And even as we're here under this time of the quarantine, under the coronavirus, and so many of us are feeling angst, and there's, there's so much frustration in the world. And I was uh, reaching out, just uh, greeting my neighbor this morning as I was heading here, and he's just saying, I'm so frustrated, the neighbor was saying. And I was like, oh, I understand, I get it. You know, being under quarantine for a long period of time, it understandably presses people in many different ways, unbeliever and believer, And in this fallen world where all of us as human beings are under threats of viruses and the like, isn't it so wonderful to recall that there is a day coming where we will never be under threat from anything? That's going to be our future, church. I can't wait to be there together with you enjoying Jesus. So trust in King Jesus. And follow and serve him. And your future will be one that will be more pleasant than those in this section who sat at King Solomon's table with its abundance of food. The marriage supper of the Lamb will make the food provision allotted daily to King Solomon look like nothing. It's going to be so awesome. And King Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands and feet, will actually serve us at table. It's going to be so wonderful, church. It's going to be awesome. And these days of Solomon were great for Israel, but Christ's reign is and will be greater. And let us long for the day when Jesus returns and makes this promised, happy, eternal future a reality. Let us cry today, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And the, the final subpoint underneath of the king's dominion is that all enemies will be placed under the king's feet. That happens here in 1 Kings chapter 5. And it actually says in verse 4, if you look there with me in chapter 5, verse 4, Solomon talking to King Hiram, he says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. That's our eternal future as well. And look at this phrase. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. There's another description of what the kingdom of God under the new heavens and new earth is going to look like. And to have neither adversary nor misfortune. Israel did not experience this often. And we don't experience it. In this fallen world, there are adversaries. Satan is an adversary. Sin is an adversary. 
As John preached so well last week, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world is an adversary. The world can be described as fallen humanity and sinful opposition to God. Fallen humanity and sinful opposition to God can be an adversary. And yet the day is coming when all of them will be underneath of King Jesus' feet completely and totally. And that phrase, there will be neither adversary nor misfortune, will reach its ultimate fulfillment. This fallen world is characterized by thorn. But let us remember that Jesus bore a crown of thorns to deliver us from the effects of the fall, including viruses and sin and death. He's delivered us from and will deliver us again and again from the battle of our souls against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And just as David and Solomon's enemies were eventually brought under the soles of their feet, so will the Lord crush Satan under his feet. And that's a happy and encouraging thought. Death will also be defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26, as the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Right now, Hebrews 2, 7 is effect, which says that at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Speaking of Christ, so at present we do not see everything in subjection to him yet, and yet we hold fast to the promise that every rule and authority and power will be destroyed by him at the end of the age when Jesus returns. Psalm 110, verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. These are chiefs and rulers and powers that stand in defiance to Christ and will not submit themselves to Christ. All things will be brought under his feet. And that's what this power and dominion of King Solomon ultimately points to. There will be unbroken rest in the land, everywhere, on all sides, forever and ever. We will know the experience of this peace and true rest, brothers and sisters. Now we feel the lack of rest. We feel exhausted in the midst of what we go through. We feel inner turmoil and not peace. But we will know true peace and true rest, deliverance from all adversaries and every misfortune. And then we will never suffer misfortune or threat of adversary ever again. It's going to be awesome. You know, we don't know this right now. The world hates us now as it hated Christ. But all in the world will only love us with a sinless love forever and peaceful harmony and life without fear or threat. That's going to be the eternal reality for believers in Christ. Anxiety will be replaced with peace. Threat will be replaced with honor and love. Take heart. Those days are coming and coming soon. The final point is the king's work. 
the king's work. And we see this in chapter 5 in the second half of the chapter, 7 through 18. We see the details of the temple being built. Now, you look again, you're seeing building materials and all that, you know, and you can be tempted to think, what relevance does, does a temple being built in 959 BC have in my life here in 2020 with the coronavirus happening? And that's a wrong conclusion to come to. There's nothing more relevant than to see the Lord establishing the building of his temple, which the temple is only pointing to the true temple, Jesus Christ. The, the, the true place where man comes to meet with God. And the building material for the first temple, it's being gathered here. The Ark of the Covenant is getting gathered and being placed in the tabernacle. It was designed with the people as they were in the wilderness. It symbolizes, it symbolizes and symbolized the presence of God amongst the people of God. And that it just symbolizes as well the building of the temple, the peace and the prosperity and the abundance of the settled kingdom of Israel. They're no longer traveling with a tent but now they're actually able to build a firm structure in the temple. There's peace on all sides. And now even the Sidonian king's coming alongside to help. And he's even ascribing glory to the God of Israel because they were seeing the power of the Lord establishing this people formerly in bondage in Egypt, now having become the the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Only God can do such things. And the foundation of the new temple was laid with very costly and dressed stone, which points to the foundation of Jesus Christ that's been laid in the new covenant. And the way that the builders are to build with costly jewels and the very best materials when it comes to God's church. Nothing but the best was used to build God's temple And in the new covenant, we see Christ in the gospel of John saying, he's the true temple. And if the Pharisees destroy it, he's going to raise it up on the third day. He was speaking of his body, which he gave to be broken so that sinners might be reconciled to God. And Christ is now the place where we go to meet with God. We don't need to go to a temple. We go to a person who the temple always pointed to and was typical of and pointed to Christ the fulfillment of the temple, the place where we come and meet with God, to be made right with God. So unbeliever, if you want to be made right with God, go to Jesus. He is the only one who can make you right with God, where you can meet with God. There's no temple or building that's needed. Only Christ. In fact, this truth is so glorious that in the book of Revelation, there is no mention of a temple because the Lamb is going to give light to the entire city of the new Jerusalem, and he is the temple. And we who believe in Christ are being built together as living stones, as the church, a spiritual house, the new Israel consisting of both Jews and Gentiles. Jews, the part of the natural branches, and us Gentiles engrafted into the vine by grace under the new covenant, and we are a glorious display of the power of Jesus Christ to this lost world. May the light of the true temple, Jesus Christ, shine radiantly out from us, his church, into this dark world. 
May many be drawn to the light through the spiritual house that we as believers are. And may God be glorified as his glory is is displayed in all the earth. There's another point to be learned here in chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And that's God cares about our heart obedience more than mere outward religion. So even with the king's work, this glorious work of building the temple and all the sacrifices, the thousands of animal sacrifices that Solomon offered up, they're still recorded in scripture. In chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, read uh, together with me. Concerning this house that you are building, this is the Lord speaking to Solomon. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and he and will not forsake my people, Israel. Matthew Henry writing about this and the temples being built and the Lord is speaking to Solomon about the importance of obedience. Matthew Henry writes, none employ themselves for God without having his eye upon them but God plainly let Solomon know that all the charge for building this temple would neither excuse from obedience to the law of God nor shelter from his judgment in case of disobedience now an application for us in this is that God cares about our obedience to him even as we are building something for him God cares more about our hearts walking in obedience to him than he does all the things outwardly that we build for him. It's easier, brothers and sisters, to do some grand gesture for God like building a building than it is to truly give our hearts over to God in obedience. It's easier to honor the Lord with our lips than it is to have our hearts close to him remember the condemnation over Israel. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus said. That's what matters most to God. Hearts. Hearts that are his. And then good works that flow out from those hearts that are his. Let us see to it that our religion isn't just sort of this outward moral shell that looks good before the eyes of men, but like the Pharisees in Jesus' time, it's just inside, there's nothing but, it's like they were whited sepulchers, there's just dead men's bones inside of their souls because there's not true living obedience burning in the hearts toward God, but mere outward religion. Brothers and sisters, let us, like King Solomon, do many good works But let us make sure that our hearts are God's, not just in public, but in private as well. And where we fall short of this, let us repent and let us ask Jesus to forgive us. And by his blood, we will indeed be forgiven and our sin will be atoned for. And finally, I want to just hit this note underneath of the king's work. The beauty of the first temple points us to the beauty of Christ. The beauty of the first temple points us to the beauty of Christ. The temple was built using gold in its decor. In fact, in the second half of uh, chapter 6, it actually says there was no section of the temple that wasn't overlaid with gold. 
Now, though the temple wasn't a massive structure, it was built with much beautiful design, which points ultimately to the glories and beauties of heaven. The use of gold calls to mind the glories to come in the new Jerusalem, where the very streets will be paved with gold. And this gets me excited. Revelation, 20, Revelation 21, 21 says, listen to this. And the 12 gates of the city of the new Jerusalem were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I just want to pause here as we think of the beauty of Solomon's temple and we think of the beauties of, the, of what's coming for us in the new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem where we're going. I, I, just, I just had this image of all of us entering into the city together, Christ community, and how awesome that day is going to be. Imagine it with me. And listen, don't be surprised if you see me off to the side while we're walking through the gates. Just like a man who's been shipwrecked for days out at sea, when he finally hits the beach and he's on sand, he kisses the land. Having been out at water at sea for all that time, I I can't help but think that we are going to together want to just kiss the pearl of the gate that we are walking through and just like, oh, we're finally home after having been shipwrecked in the fallen world just underneath of the oppression of coronaviruses and sin and death and temptation and all kinds of adversaries. How awesome is it going to be to walk in and out of the gates of the city of the New Jerusalem and to walk on the streets of transparent gold glass Oh, I'm sure you'll see me kissing the pearl. Yeah, that's, that was my pastor in the fallen world, CB. He's kissing the pearl. He's so glad to be home. I can't wait to see the pearly gates, as they say. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to be finally home. What joys and eternal pleasures await those of us who believe in Jesus Christ? The purity of the gold of the temple, it, it symbolizes and points to the purity and the perfection of the true temple. Jesus Christ, whose perfect sinless life is the very grounds of our perfect standing before God and our justification. His righteousness is a perfection that is more pure. Listen, his righteousness, Jesus, is a perfection that is more pure than the transparent glass of the streets of the New Jerusalem or Solomon's temple. That achieved righteousness of Christ has been credited to us sinners by grace, through faith in Christ. And we are justified before God because of it. First Peter talks about your faith being more precious than gold. The reason it's more precious is because our faith unites us to the true temple, Jesus Christ, of whom the gold in Solomon's temple was only a mere pointer to the purity and the glory and what a glorious day it's going to be when Revelation 21, 22 says, And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. All the beauty of the first temple here is only a pale display of the beauty of Christ that we will see face to face and enjoy forever. The beauty of Christ is such that he is the sum of all that is desirable. I'll never forget my friend Josh Coiro, who's here with us this morning. 
Help me to understand that when he was talking about the beauty of Christ, even when he was still a teen at our church. The beauty of Christ means that he is the sum of all that's desirable and greater in value and worth than all other things. One glimpse of the glorified and resurrected Christ will be the ultimate of pleasures, church. And it will only be the beginning of a time that will never have an end for us. So let us hang in there. Let us trust in the Lord with all of our hearts in this season and remember all that Christ has done on our behalf. And let us rejoice that Christ has finished the work and that we can be at peace. I was saying it humorously to begin about the 911 call, but I was pondering this in reality more seriously that we are heading to a place where 911 will never be necessary again. Mm-hmm. No more emergencies, yeah. no more deaths, no more violence, no more crime, Amen. no more injustice. No more evil. It'll all be under his feet. King Jesus forever. Only Christ, both King of Kings and Temple, and his rule and his sweet and glorious reign. I can't wait to be there together with you, church. That's where we're heading. Let's remember that in these troubled times. And take heart today as we pray and as Tom returns. Jesus, we can't wait to see you face to face. We can't wait to rejoice in the city of our God. Underneath your rule and reign. After you return and we are raptured up as your church to enjoy you forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. And in the new Jerusalem we will arise to meet you in the air upon your glorious return, your triumphant and victorious return. And that day is coming. Lord, in the midst of these days of turmoil where our world is in chaos and all manner of evil seems to be just, oh Lord, unbridled at times. Lord, help us to remember that you are the one who's in control. You are the one who sits on the throne. And you are going to return and bring us into the fulfillment of all of these happy realities in just a little while. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Let's worship. I want you guys all to know Revelation chapter 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, 
Enjoy the fullness of Christ. Amen.